Good morning and welcome to OSA's podcast series. In this podcast, we get to explore topical economic issues and see how they affect our daily lives here in South Africa. We get to speak to experienced and knowledgeable people in the field. I'm your host, Margot G, and with me today is Chris Lowell, the head of the research department at the Reserve Bank and member of the Monetary Policy Committee. Today, we will be talking about the macroeconomic effects and the response to the coronavirus pandemic. Hello and welcome to our podcast. Could you please tell us a little bit more about yourself? Uh, good morning. Uh, thanks for inviting me. Um, tell you about myself. Well, uh, <laughs> I'm, uh, <laughs> I've uh, been in public policy in South Africa for a long time. Uh, was, I'm currently the uh, head of the economic research department at the Reserve Bank uh, and a member of the Monetary Policy Committee and uh, Financial Stability Committee as well. Uh, Prior to joining the bank in 2011, I was uh, the Deputy Director General for Economic Policy in the National Treasury uh, and uh, did various roles there uh, for quite a long time, worked on the budget quite a lot, uh, but generally speaking on, on macroeconomic policy. Great. It's wonderful to have you with us today. Thank you. So it has been said that the effects of this coronavirus pandemic will lead to an economic recession worse than that of the 1920s. Now, so far, South Africa has responded really well to the pandemic, given the constraints we have. Is it really going to be that bad? Well, at this stage, it's very hard to tell. Um, it is quite possible that it gets very bad, but that depends a lot on the way in which uh, policymakers and uh, households and firms respond to uh, the health crisis that we have. Uh, so it's important to keep in mind that we're really starting with a health crisis, uh, which has uh, potentially very large economic effects uh, because our, our problem primary means of dealing with the health crisis is to uh, do social distancing uh, and to uh, close off interactions between people uh, which are the stuff of economic activity. So businesses uh, are closing or at least shuttering uh, for the period. Uh, people are not interacting as they normally do. Uh, so a wide range of economic activity is very, very badly hit by this. Um, in terms of the real economy. Uh, on the financial side, uh, there's also been uh, a, a quite a strong reaction, uh, which essentially takes the form of uh, people holding various kinds of assets, trying to sell those assets and converting them into cash, uh, which is seen to be a safer asset to hold. You can do more with cash in the short term uh, than you can do with, say, holding a government bond or a, a share in a company. Uh, and so we've seen both uh, a real economy reaction and a financial sector reaction, not just in South Africa, but globally uh, to, to the pandemic. Um, how long it lasts uh, is really the key variable here to uh, understanding the uh, depth of the economic contraction we have. So um, the length of the lockdown that we see, um, the way in which policy interventions um, both uh, deal with the health crisis, but also get uh, people back into economic activity is really important. 
um, the way in which uh, people's behavior changes as we come out of the uh, out of the kind of lockdown period. So the, the extent to which people start to consume again uh, and they start to engage in different kinds of economic activities. The faster that happens, uh, the faster the economy recovers from the crisis and the depth of the contraction will be less uh, and the, the length of time it takes will be less. So there's a lot going on there and a lot of different mm -hmm. moving parts, uh, but much of it really has to do with um, how long do we have to stop doing uh, what we normally do on a day-to-day -day basis uh, and then how quickly the, the, uh, the uh, economic activity comes back online after the, the, uh, the pandemic has come down. And one thing to keep in mind, I think, um, and one of the things that people are grappling with a lot at the moment is just trying to understand uh, whether or not the virus is Sort of event or if it comes back in waves mm -hmm. uh, and unfortunately uh, i think that the state of thinking now is is that it will come back in waves and, and that implies that um, economies will go through uh, kind of a cycle of, of shutdown and then re resurgence and then shutdown maybe of, of a much less extent the next time around until the virus uh, appears to have um, disappeared or weakened uh, or uh, at which time uh, public health response vaccines and antibodies have come on stream and are more widely available. So, um, you know, we move, we've moved quite quickly from, say, two weeks ago, thinking that the uh, contraction would take the classic V shape to one that looks much more like a U shape, so that the, the, uh, the economic um, recession or the contraction and activity lasts for quite a lot longer. Interesting. Yeah, so I, I hear your point about, you know, the importance of keeping our policies to, you know, to drive the economy through these these different times. And I think when you look at the, the notion of those waves, is there something we could learn with our policies in terms of going forward, perhaps addressing structural issues as well as, as, well as the other issues? Um, recently, we have, as you mentioned lowered the interest rates along with many countries and um, you know is this just one avenue we could take or are there various things we could do from the monetary side? Uh, well I, I don't think there's uh, uh, it, it, it's, it's quite clear that monetary policy needs to work hand in hand with other kinds of policies fiscal and public health in particular. Uh, to get this right. Uh, so monetary policy action, I'll come back to in a minute, but that obviously isn't going to be the only thing that uh, we can or should do uh, to, to get the South African economy through this crisis. Um, one does need policies that, that uh, both provide income support and ensure that we're able to finance the public health response and policies which keep businesses operating so that when the recovery does come, um, they are able to move back into business very quickly. They haven't closed down altogether. Uh, and those three different kinds of uh, policy uh, supports to the economy uh, are achieved with different kinds of policies. So fiscal policy needs to provide the finance for public health. Um, it, Fiscal policy also has to play quite a big role in generating income support uh, and other kinds of uh, in-kind support to households that need it. 
um, so tax deferments, um, various kinds of wage subsidies, uh, certain types of guarantees uh, to credit, all of those are essentially fiscal measures um, that are needed to support the economy in times like this. Monetary policy plays, uh, a, again, a kind of supporting role in all of that. Um, by uh, making cash flow easier for firms and households. So when we cut interest rates by 100 basis points uh, two weeks ago, um, given the economic conditions, it's not really uh, appropriate to expect that that interest rate cut is going to generate the normal kind of reaction in the economy to interest rate cuts, which is uh, that households and firms start to borrow more but what we they will borrow more but for the different kinds of reasons they will borrow more just to keep cash going so that they can maintain the kinds of expenditures they need to maintain at this more subdued rate of economic activity um, there is also a redistribution of cash via the interest rate cut which is from banks to households and firms so they have more cash on their balance sheets to maintain themselves while they're not earning any additional income or a lesser income than they were before. So those are really important measures, uh, but they are substantively a bit different from uh, you know what, the way in which we would normally think about interest rate cuts. And that's very much a, a function of the kind of economic conditions that we're going through at the moment, the way in which the economy is operating. Um, the bank has also um, take some other big steps. Uh, one is to ease uh, some of the capital requirements that come via the Basel III uh, uh, banking regulations. Uh, and we've done that, uh, again, precisely to um, the way in which the bank regulations are meant to work. You create buffers of capital in good times and then release them or ease them at bad times. Uh, and so the Prudential Authority has uh, issued uh, a variety of um, rulings that they put out for public comment uh, and comment by the banks, of course, on uh, easing of cap various kinds of capital requirements. And that will um, do various things, but one thing in particular is that it, uh, it will, uh, via uh, leverage, it will allow banks to uh, roll over credit to existing businesses and other and new businesses that may, they may, that may not currently take credit uh, to keep them going. So that's very important um, step that, that the Reserve Bank has embarked on. And then the final set of uh, monetary policy uh, related actions have to do with uh, liquidity in the financial markets. So I mentioned earlier that one of the things that we've seen happen is that uh, asset managers, pension funds and banks have all tried to shed certain kinds of assets uh, to hold cash. Um, the liquidity that we've provided into the market uh, is meant to ease that process so that when people try to sell, say, government bonds of a certain tenor all at the same time, you don't have the uh, a kind of price spike, uh, or sorry, price collapse and a yield spiking up um, in reaction to that. So we want the market to be smooth. We don't want to have big price dislocations and interest rate 
interest rates uh, jumping around on different kinds mm -hmm. of assets, then creating other kinds of complications in other parts of the market. So the bank has stepped in to provide a series of, uh, of liquidity measures to deal with those kinds of problems, uh, both in the repo market at different tenors, short term and longer term, uh, as well as into the government bond market. Uh, by buying bonds on the secondary market uh, in order to ease price discovery uh, of those assets in the market. Uh, and those things have all worked quite well. Uh, the latter liquidity measures have added money to the to basically cash to the financial markets uh, and have succeeded in calming them. Yields have come down on bonds and other instruments uh, that spiked as a result of this kind of panic selling or uh, not panic isn't the right word but this kind of accelerated selling of particular kinds of assets uh, and that eases the markets uh, and keeps yields low and we've seen that come out very neatly in the numbers okay this is very interesting because i think when we hear about monetary policy we often associate it with being more a medium to long-term sort of policy measure where the effects come in with a lag and fiscal policy being more instantaneous. But it sounds as though these measures are actually coming into effect fairly immediately. Um, and I think that's especially the, the third measure you mentioned and probably the second and third. Um, in fact, well, is, is it all of them actually? <laughs> I think all, th all three have had a pretty in, uh, instantaneous impact. Uh, the interest rate cut immediately feeds through into uh, what your debt service costs are on a monthly basis. So it's, it's a pretty immediate effect. It's just, you know, we tend not to think about monetary policy always as just kind of putting cash into the market in various kinds of ways. Uh, we think about it as having a kind of role in generating credit demand and investment over time. And so it's quite a conceptually uh, different way of thinking about it. Uh, but it's important. I mean, this goes back to uh, uh, Lombard Street and Bajet, who's the famous uh, British economist commentating on, on how the Bank of England was supposed to uh, provide uh, liquidity as a lender of last resort type activity. And, and you know, we've, we've lost some of that way of thinking about it in a way. Um, although banks have been doing this um, around the world in response to the global financial crisis 10 years ago, and they're now doing it again in response to the, the pandemic. Part of the issue is just that, um, you know, financial markets nowadays are very evolved. And so you have uh, a lot of economic activity depends on a kind of just in time liquidity in the markets, which uh, is quite different from the way uh, monetary central bank used to be say 40 or 50 years ago and it's required this kind of different this approach again yeah and i think in a south african context especially being an emerging market with a quite a heavy cash economy it's it's matters even more um yeah i think that's i think that's right yeah so recently we also got the news that we have been downgraded by Moody's, which was the last last credit agency. And um, how big is the impact of this now, given all the other uncertainty we're already dealing with? And what do you think this will act? What do you think the net outcome will be then on our capital inflows and outflows, based on how well we have handled our policies internally up until now? 
Uh, well, it's a difficult question. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I think uh, the Moody's downgrade possibility had been very well signaled. And um, I, if you read uh, many of the financial market analysts uh, who have been commenting on the Moody's will they or won't they for a long time, I think many of them have reached a point of being pretty fed up. Uh, sort of, uh, <laughs> some of the responses will, were, well, you know, finally, at least now this is behind us and, and we can kind of move on. And, and that does reflect this kind of sense that um, you know, many non-resident investors have reacted uh, long ago to, uh, or over time, to to the the, uh, the risk of the downgrade coming through. Uh, that's not to say that it doesn't have an impact and hasn't had an impact over the last couple of weeks. Uh, you know, it is very hard to disassociate. Uh, the spike in government bond yields and the currency's depreciation from uh, the credit rating downgrade plus, uh, uh, you know, the bad coronavirus news plus the very bad financial markets globally uh, and the way in which uh, markets generally are reacting to, to the economic slowdown caused by the coronavirus and, and, and just generally the huge lack of information and, 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 and lack of certainty about how economies uh, are going to, uh, to move forward, uh, given all these shocks that have been hitting us. I mean, I, you know, I've spent, now that I'm at home, working from home, I spend an inordinate amount of time with Bloomberg TV in the background. Uh, and, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis, you're getting these wild swings in economic activity in the markets and sentiment. So, so all of those things are kind of mixed up and it's, it's very hard to kind of look just at Moody's and sort of say, oh, well, here's the Moody's effect. Mm -hmm. Now, having said all of that, <laughs> uh, you know, South Africa has had a very large buildup of non-resident investment in government bonds in particular, which is the main asset that we've been issued. Government's been, been the primary borrower for many, many years here. Uh, and that reached a point of uh, a bit over 40% of all government bonds were held by non-resident investors. Oh. That, that number has moved down to about 35% now. Um, and there's been a considerable sell-off of bonds and equities over the past year. Um, and part of that is idiosyncratic. So in other words, it has, it's a function of uh, developments in South Africa and the way in which re uh, non-resident holders of our bond view what's happening here relative to what's happening in other emerging markets. Um, there are some uh, things that I think are, have worked quite well in our favor uh, and which help differentiate South Africa from other emerging markets. Uh, one has been, you know, a very clear uh, and transparent budget that came out in February. Uh, another one has been that South Africa has uh, been, I think, ahead of the curve on government responses to uh, the coronavirus pandemic. And that's, uh, that's shown via this accelerated lockdown, despite um, measured coronavirus uh, spread being pretty limited in South Africa. And that's a strong positive, uh, certainly. 
And then the third big thing, uh, which I think is important and relates back to monetary policy, which is just that, um, and we talk a lot about this in our monetary policy review that we released yesterday, which I encourage uh, listeners to go take a look at. Um, but, you know, we, we've been incredibly uh, fortunate to have had, along with a lot of other emerging markets, an easing of inflation from about 6% two years ago to about 4 to 4.5% 4 now. Uh, and why that's very important is, is that it takes, that takes directly inflation expectations, pressures out of the long end of the yield curve and our borrowing costs. And so we've been able to react to the coronavirus uh, slowdown and the general slowdown in the economy that started second half of last year with some significant interest rate cuts. And we're able to do that because the inflation rate is so modest. Uh, if our inflation rate was sitting at 6%, we'd, we'd be really in a lot more trouble. We would have much larger capital outflows. We'd be getting more currency depreciation. Uh, and we'd have much higher long-term bond yields, which would make it even harder for government to finance the fiscal uh, activity that it has to do to deal with the public health problem that we've got. So these things all work together uh, quite neatly to, uh, to, to and interact with each other. Uh, and I, I think we're just in much better space as a result of some of those things than we, we could have been. Yeah, no, I think you, you touched on some very important points there. And when we look at, uh, I, I liked your point, especially about, you know, people coming out of this crisis slightly differently and also changing their behavior and having to adapt to whatever comes ahead. And I think the fact that we have been so adaptable up until now is really, you know, it's a really good thing going forward. Do you have any economic advice for South Africans going forward? <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Save, save for the rainy days you've got at the moment. Now, look, I, I think, um, I, I think the, you know, the the main issue for us is 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 dealing with the public health problem, and then getting the economy back up and running uh, as safely as possible, as quickly as possible. And and I think what that means for me is that is that. Um, we need uh, uh, two important things to happen. One is that businesses need to figure out, uh, innovate, and figure out how to uh, get up and running again with while being able to prevent uh, the spread of the virus. So you need to have employees that are safe, uh, that are protected from, from con that contagion resurfacing. Uh, and to do that as quickly as possible. Fortunately, we've got a lot of experience that we can draw on from the rest of the world and businesses here uh, are clearly um, thinking very actively about how to do that successfully. And you know, the sooner that happens, the better. The second thing is that, of course, um, you know, there's one of the terms that I like a lot uh, that's being used elsewhere is this kind of I, the idea of bridging to a, a better economy in the future. And, and clearly, um, you know, we've had this coronavirus problem, but we also have a slow, sluggish growth, stagnant growth problem that pre-exists coronavirus. Uh, and so I think it would help a lot to get through the short-term problem if we were clear about longer-term 
uh, steps to uh, raising investment, creating jobs, and that kind of thing. And and there are various chunks of that which seem important to me. I mean, obviously, modernizing the healthcare system is the public healthcare system is really important. Uh, but so too is dealing with the energy problems uh, and, and various kinds of environmental issues that we will face in the future as well. So using this crisis uh, to take steps to create a certainty about longer run growth and job creation in both health, energy, uh, and, and other dimensions seems pretty, pretty critical to me. Thank you very much for your time. And uh, we welcome. really appreciate having the opportunity to get to know you a bit better. Thank you also to all our listeners and remember for more updates on our podcast series, please see our website and the social media platforms. This is your host, Margot G from OSA Podcast Series. Till next time.